Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. I'm Ryan Coop here alongside Michael Garrell and Trey Colbeck. Welcome one and all to our live week five recap show here on the Canadian Football Countdown tonight. We'll touch on a bunch of breaking news around the CFL, talk through each of the three games this past weekend, give our players of the week, update our power rankings and more. And of course, take your comments and questions in the chat throughout the night as well. We're live, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, and the Game Time TV YouTube page, all made possible by our presenting sponsors, Game Time TV. Uh, learn more at facebook.com slash Game Time TV MB. Uh, hello, one and all, everybody catching this live, everybody listening after the fact. Happy to have you here with us. Uh, before I bring in the rest of the panel, I do want to mention we are a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network, and as always, want to acknowledge that the Canadian Football Countdown is brought to you from Treaty 1 Territory, traditional territory of the Anishinaabe Cree, Oja Cree, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and the homeland of Métis Nation, as well as from Treaty 4 Territory, traditional territory of the Cree, Soto, Dakota, Lakota, Nakota, and Métis Nation. Now let's introduce the rest of the panel here tonight. First, in the middle here, it's the great Michael Garrell. Mike, how you doing tonight? Not too shabby, guys. Uh, lots of news to get to, uh, but we can't confirm one thing. This will not be a four-hour podcast. Sorry to disappoint. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what the runtime is like uh, by the time we get to the end of this here. Uh, we have a last-minute lineup change. Uh, if you followed us on Twitter at CF Countdown Pod, you would have thought, uh, "Where is Adam uh, here tonight?" Uh, well, didn't have great cell service, uh, you know. Uh, so Trey was supposed to get the night off for one-game suspension this week for uh, going 0 and 3 on his picks last week. Resident betting expert, uh, rough go for him, uh, but has appealed the suspension and comes in off the bench here tonight. Trey, how are you doing tonight? Oh, there's the mute button. I'm doing fantastic. Brian in the chat. I'm sorry, man. I don't own any other hat. The only other hat I own is this one. So should I wear I'm gonna wear my sexy stables hat for the next hour, boys, if that's okay. Because <laughs> Brian doesn't like the bomber hat. And well, let's see here. We got some vanilla ice cream, boys and girls. Oh my god, Marcus Sales. You don't don't put up uh don't put up uh, comments like that, man. You're gonna have to mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Amazing. This may be the best intro in the, uh, we've ever had into the podcast. Happy to have you both here tonight and everybody joining us in the chat as well for our week five CFL recap. But first, uh, we've got some breaking news uh, to get to off the top of the show here. A couple big items coming out this week. Mike, what do we got here for breaking news in the uh, start of week six? Well, I'm going to give them item by item, and then we will discuss them because they kind of know well, I'm not tying it together. But this is one of those where you think you have the outline pounded together, and uh, all head breaks loose in the last couple of hours before the show. Uh, so we adapt, and we we will adapt, and we will be team players about this. So uh, the first set of breaking news, uh, Saskatchewan. Uh, Rob Ryder's uh, player, uh, Marino, Garrett Marino, has been suspended four games for conduct during the Week 5 game versus the Ottawa Red Blacks. So that was last week. Um, we'll get to that in just a second. Uh, the other source of breaking news is that, and it kind of piggybacks off of this, uh, the 
Ottawa Red Blast have acquired Nick Arbuckle from the Edmonton Elks in exchange for a 2023 fourth round pick. Um, let's quickly pivot back to the Sorry, the ice cream, it just, it just made my night. I knew it was coming, but hey, it's even better in person. Um, anyway, that being said, uh, the Jarrett Marino suspension, I, I decided before we get to the panel, uh, the panel the way in it, just to read this out, just so there's no uh, misunderstanding or misconception. The CFL has totaled Garrett Marino's suspension for a total of four games on three separate suspensions. A two-game suspension for Marino dangerous and reckless low hit on Ottawa quarterback Jeremiah Mazzoli on play 123, which was that play uh, with five minutes left in the game, resulted in serious injury and Marino's ejection from the game and for Marino's subsequent celebration. A one-game suspension for verbal comments Marino made about Mazzoli's heritage during the game, which clearly violates the code of conduct. A one-game suspension for Marino's illegal and reckless tackle of an Ottawa offensive lineman on the previous play. The league has also cited Marino's discipline, record, after 12 games, which includes a previous ejection and two fines for his manner of play. This behavior had no place in our lead, Randy Ambrosi, commissioner of the CFL. This discipline is intended to send a strong message that it will not be tolerated. Now, I know I, I know we took a little bit more time on that than probably wanted to, but I think it's important that we lay out the facts that this is not just one isolated incident of four games. So the initial thoughts from both of you, um, Ryan, we'll start with you on this one. Uh, your thoughts on the four game uh, suspension for Garrett Marino. Yeah, I was surprised to see it be four games. You know, I, I feel like just track record history, I was setting myself up for disappointment to, you know, come out, see a, a one-game, a two-game suspension here for for Marino for this incident is kind of what I was expecting to see out of it. Uh, then we got the four games, which uh, the same you know uh, announcement from the CFL mentions the most severe total discipline ever imposed uh, for in-game behavior during one game. Note the in-game portion of it; it doesn't count the Chris Edwards of the Argos last season uh, after that East final with the with the Tie Cats. Um, I love that they break it down into, okay, it's two games for this. It's one game for that. It's one game for that. Uh, I'm very happy to see Marino suspended for four games, uh, especially for all these. Personally, I would have liked to see more, uh, for it as you, you know, it was a couple reckless plays. It was, you know, you question the motive a little bit there, maybe when he's celebrating as he's walking off the field for this. It's not like he's upset that he got ejected because he thinks this was a legitimate hit. No, he knows what he did, and he's celebrating as he goes off the field. And then you take into account the verbal comments about Mazzoli's heritage and that. Like, there's no spot. There's no place for that in football. There's no place for, you know, negative comments towards anybody's heritage in life at all. So... 
Very disappointed in Marino's actions in this one. Happy to see him suspended for four games. Would have liked it to be a little bit more. Uh, Trey, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with that. Again, I was I was surprised he got four. I thought it was going to be less. And it's nice to see the CFL came down with somewhat of a hammer and being the longest uh, suspension for in-game play. Uh, yeah, I, I, I again think he deserves more just based off the verbal comments part. And again, heritage is such a gray area like yeah that's such a great area because heritage is not far from race so what's the difference between i don't know what the word, proper word is anti-heritism and racism right like i don't know where where that line is and it i believe mazzoli is hawaiian or or something like polynesian or something like maybe i'm wrong maybe uh, i'm trying to i'm not trying to whatever but still again it does no place in the football it doesn't matter if you're white black asian anything right so keep that stuff off the field and yeah, and I think we have a comment from somebody about the will and can the CFL pay, PA contest the suspension. I think that's really interesting because, again, that heritage line, if it said racist, I bet the CFL PA would have nothing to do with it. So it might be an interesting play here. Uh, but back to you, Mike. Yeah, that, uh, I think it's really interesting here because, you know, this is, I think I said this in the, in the group chat earlier, This this is not written. I don't think without the direction or um, guidance of a lawyer, uh, this is very, it seems to be legal people involved in, in the writing of this this carefully worded statement. Uh, I, I find it interesting that they have found a way to differentiate this suspension. And they didn't say it's four games for the hit. It's the totality of previous actions in this game. Now, that to me is very interesting, and I'm glad they made, uh, this is the perfectly written statement in my mind, as far as, because you're not saying, oh, it's four games. Because everybody would be going, okay, you know, four games. They went into explanation and said, two games for this, one game for that, one game for that. Job well done. Um, As far as an appeal goes, doesn't say that the suspension is not appealable, uh, which is interesting. Uh, so I'm presuming that all of the regular uh, appeal rules will apply, um, unless I'm told otherwise. But I have not received any confirmation of that either way. I also wonder, too, if they set this at four, knowing that an appeal could be coming and this uh, suspension could be reduced. Uh, whether it should be reduced is up for a large portion of debate here. The CFL has clearly set the precedent in my mind that this is a historic suspension or the longest in for in-game action. Um, I, I think guys were entering uh, 2022 era of Canadian football league discipline. And let's see. Let's see what happens. It, it's four games. I, to be honest with you, I, I'm not sure how you have the grounds of an appeal and how that would look amongst the public eye. That's not for me to debate. Um, but I'm just wondering here if there was some kind of uh, guidance from the CFLPA and the CFL to kind of put their heads together here. I, I can't, I cannot personally see the CFL making a unilateral decision. Um, my 
guess, and this is only a guess, uh, based on what I know of these things from my line of work, which again is entirely different. I would not be shocked if the CFLPA had some consultation in this. Um, and then we'll see if there's an appeal because I, I don't know. Uh, to me, this almost screams, okay, four, and we prepare for a a uh, appeal because nobody's going to look at if this is a two-game suspension and, you know, he appeals it and it gets down to one. Uh, we should mention as well, uh, this is going to be separate from any discipline that the riders uh, issue on the play. Uh, Craig Dickinson has said already multiple times, uh, including on the post-game show, that if the CFL, and again, I'm paraphrasing on that, on this, but if the CFL didn't do anything that the riders would uh, ha be handling this internally, I think was was the line right after the game. So I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. Like, we don't have a precedent ever for a one play on the football field leading to a four-game suspension. So new territory. Um, for those that say it should be longer, um, yeah, you run yourself into a lot of legal trouble. Uh, I, I think if you make this any longer, um, and we'll, we'll see. We'll see. My hope is that this does not get appealed. Because I think this is, you know, I don't. I shouldn't say that. It opens up a can of worms. No matter, no matter, no matter what, what way you just slice this. Too long, too short. Happy medium. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll tell. We'll be able to tell here in the in the in the next couple of days. Um, yeah, um, and again, apparently there was. Uh, and I'm just reading the comment here from Brian. It sounds like there was some. Uh, discussion in the media already uh, that the rioters had suspended them for a game and fined them. So we, and this came down obviously before the CFL uh, before the CFL uh, announcement. So it, it, it's interesting and I, I, I truly hope uh, that this is a new era in CFL discipline and that this is where it stops. And I think the only way it stops is if this is a lengthy suspension. And I think for as much as people want it longer, um, to me, I think this should get the attention of, of the players entirely. That uh, this type of action would not be tolerated, whether it's a blue bomber, whether it's a rioter, whether it's a red black, whether it's an Edmonton player, whether it's a Calgary player. The CFO has made it abundantly clear. Those actions on the football field do not belong on the football field and or in life in general. Uh, so it's gonna be very interesting how this comes how this comes to pass. I just uh, wanna jump I just wanna jump yeah, in here because we, we did get a comment in the chat also from, from Brian here saying Marino deserved that, but what about Boyd? Yeah, that, there were a couple plays in this game that were, you know, rough hits, dirty hits potentially here. Uh I, I think it's, you know, I, I they're two separate entities. Do I think, you know, if Boyd threw a dirty hit there, like it, it seemed like, should he get suspended as well? Yeah, probably. Um, I, I would not disagree with that one bit, that uh, a suspension would be worthy for a dirty hit of that case as well. Does one suspension, one hit, you know, equal the other in this case? I'm not so sure necessarily, uh, but obviously a couple uh, big hits here, uh, 
you know, rough plays. Uh, Pete Robertson of the Riders going down with a big injury from that one, I believe, as well. So, uh, ugly side of the football game here that we saw a little bit out of this one. But uh, we will see uh, if any further discipline comes down for that uh, as well. Uh, so, uh, and, you know, some bad blood between those teams as the game ended there on that one. Let's talk about the other big news here as well. Uh, you mentioned it already, Mike, the, the trade of Nick Arbuckle to the Ottawa Red Blacks. Um, I guess we should mention as part of that that uh, Jeremiah Mazzoli is out, what, 10 to 12 weeks, I think it was, yeah. uh, after that injury. So just awful to see from Mazzoli, uh, you know, who, who came over to Ottawa and was trying to rejuvenate that team a little bit. But now they bring in Nick Arbuckle. And the Nick Arbuckle roller coaster continues. Uh, what do you guys make of this from both sides, Mike? Yeah, I, I think to be honest, the, the writing was on the wall the day Chris Jones came into Edmonton. Uh, he didn't seem to really like Nick Arbuckle. He seemed to go way out of his way to bring in quarterbacks. Uh, if that doesn't send a message that. I don't think you were the guy here. I don't know what is. Um, I mean, it was just a matter of finding the right pit. I think they settled on a fourth-round pit just to, to, to as adequate compensation, um, as we seem to have lost Trey there for a moment. Uh, but, no, I, I think this was a long time coming, and I think with how short of a leash Nick Arbuckle got on uh, – in during his time uh, to play this year, uh, it's proven to the, to be the fact that he was not uh, in the Red Blast plans or in the, in the uh, Elks plans. Pardon me. And this might be one team with a need, showing uh, another need. And it sounds like he's going to be in practice tomorrow already. Uh, Trey, welcome back. Yeah, hit the wrong button, boys. Hit the wrong button. I was trying to find a new tab, and it disappeared, and I hit Leaf Studio. But, yeah, so, interesting. So, quick question. Do we blame me, Ice Cream Man, for your technical difficulties? Yeah, my hands are a little sticky now, boys, all that chocolate sauce. Uh, but, yeah, our Nick Arbuckle trade. Uh, yeah, we all know uh, Chris Jones had a, a thing against Arbuckle, it seemed like, from day one. The opportunity arose in Ottawa, and unfortunately, arose in Ottawa, and, I, you know, we're going to see Nick Arbuckle, I think, win more games in Ottawa than he would have in Edmonton, maybe, because, well, he would have been the backup anyway. And we don't know what Edmonton's going to do now with Trey Ford on the, it seems to be injured and all those other guys. So, yeah, I think it's a, probably, a, hopefully it's a good move for Arbuckle and I uh, wish him the best there. So that's all. Yeah, it's kind of a weird trade. I'm not a fat, I don't know. I think the Canadian draft picks are a little overvalued or undervalued. I don't know. It's kind of a weird thing to be like, oh, a starting quarterback's worth a fourth round Canadian. And is that just how much Chris Jones didn't like him? Or is that what the market is, right? But we could have a whole show about that as well. So I'm on to the next thing. It's okay. Nick Arbuckle's Nick Arbuckle. He's going to get traded probably next year. The poor guy has now been traded three straight seasons and basically is ending up exactly where he was at the start of the pandemic in 2020 after he signed with the Red Blacks, never played for them, got went over to Toronto, had a good camp there, lost the job to McLeod Bethel-Thompson, gets traded over to Edmonton. Uh, they don't play him at all last season after he gets there, gets his contract restructured. They bring in 18 and a half quarterbacks in training camp. 
He wins the job from them somehow, but you can clearly tell the entire time that Chris Jones is finding any excuse to pull him, uh, which we saw even this week after Trey Ford went down, Arbuckle started playing a little bit, and then Kyle Oxley, who was playing great at wide receiver, came in and took over at quarterback. And now we already know Taylor Cornelius is going to start this week for Edmonton. So it was very clear to me that Arbuckle was not favored there by Chris Jones and his crew. Uh, He's had a rough couple of years for a guy who, you know, showed such promise as Calgary's back up there. And uh, now he gets to go over to Ottawa. And I just hope he finds a home there. I hope he gets a chance to succeed. I think the, you know, play style there in Ottawa might fit him a little bit more than uh, what Chris Jones's style was here. And uh, not really surprised. You mentioned the fourth round pick there, Trey. I almost feel like this was the case of you, everybody knew that Chris Jones had no plans to use him as a starter going forward. And maybe that if nobody, there were no takers, we would end up with uh, Arbuckle being released for as a cap liability uh, of some kind here. So, Maybe, you know, Ottawa's like, here, you want a fourth-round pick? Uh, we'll, we'll take over uh, Nick Arbuckle for that, uh, get the first shot at him here. So, uh, yeah, I like the move for Ottawa to bring him in. It's the first thing I thought of as soon as uh, Jeremiah Mazzoli went down. Uh, but, Mike, what do you think here? We've got a we've got a question in the uh, Facebook chat from Tim Capper who says, uh, so with Edmonton down a quarterback, do they sign a free agent, potentially trade for a starter like Vernon Adams? There's been some talk of that. Where what do you like? What do you make of this side for Edmonton? Yeah, this to me, Ryan, is, is interesting because uh, if we could leave Jim's comment on there, because uh, just just for a minute, because I think that's uh, that's very very important to uh, to this discussion. It's interesting to me, guys. We are how long in? This is the week five preview show. Recap. Well, yeah, week this five is the week recap, five yeah. preview show. How much the quarterback market has changed in the CFL in five weeks or four game weeks? You know, we were we were not that far removed, guys, from considering that Vernon Adams was a MOP candidate, one of the best quarterbacks in the East, and now all of a sudden. He's struggling to hold his job. And we're hearing through the grapevine in, Mon- in Montreal that they're likely to stay with Trevor Harris at quarterback, which, I don't know, it's just mind-blowing in itself, never mind uh, the part on last Wednesday's show about the whole coaching change. But to me, I, it sounds like, now, again, the injury kind of clouds everything. But it sounds like to me that Trey Ford did enough to at least consider them moving on from you know, Nick Arbuckle, and now they're going to a quarterback that's been scratched for the first four weeks of the season as their number one quarterback. I also wonder if there's a better play in here. If if they if they don't realize that with the way the West is going, well, the ship is sailing on their season pretty quickly. When you look at the West Division standards, if this is not asset control, asset management, and perhaps we look at a Trey Ford being number one, even that, I think, seems rather interesting because do you really want Trey Ford coming back in as your future quarterback off a shoulder injury and potentially a 1-8 and eight or a 2-7 and seven record? Like, 
Does that defeat the purpose, or are you better shutting down Trey Ford, letting him get healthy, assuming his shoulder isn't back to normal, isn't back to normal, and it's not a serious injury? Like now, you have to wonder about the long-term play. Do you think that? I know I'm rambling on here, but do you think Trey Ford is your number one? Do you protect them from the standpoint of you're coming back? You're probably out of the playoff race or close to it by the time he comes back. Do you see what else you have on the roster in Taylor Cornelius? And then bring in quarterback, maybe Vernon Adams or maybe Trevor Harris, which to me just seems completely not right from what we've talked about. Not not right, but it's it's completely mind-blowing what we've talked about coming into the season. And I, I think this is, I think this much is clear to summarize what I'm saying. Trey Ford made enough of an impression to be considered the number one long-term in Edmonton. Whether he remains to be the number one this year, we'll see coming off the shoulder injury. And this screams audition to me as to who is that quarterback behind Trey Ford or who is on the depth chart with Trey Ford. Because, hey, you know what? They, that third stringer last week also got injured. Uh, whose name escapes me at the minute? Uh, uh, Kyle Oxley was the uh, played wide receiver, came in at quarterback. Uh, yeah. Sounds like he's back at practice this week, but practicing with the wide receivers again. because so It's, it's interesting, right? Because it almost screams to you like Taylor Cornelius and then like I said in the group chat, Cornelius, die, die. Who is that guy? There's Maybe no- it's Deron Carter. He's yeah. back at practice. <laughs> it is. But, you know, there, there was a lot of questions. And I think for, for, for once, we finally figured out that it is uh, Cornelius potentially getting this chance. Actually, we know it is for sure uh, getting auditioned, uh, getting a chance to audition or potentially job one or job two, assuming Trey Ford comes back. And, yeah, we'll discuss my fantasy impacts of that game later on. I guess my question is, though, is if Narbuckle's a fourth-round draft pick, what's Vernon Adams? Right? Because you're talking about the Edmonton season's done. Are you gonna? Are you willing to sell the farm for Vernon Adams if your season's kind of over? Right, that's my kind of question. If you're like you're saying, if you want to shut down Trey Ford for the year, uh, you know, I, I would say that the season's over. So there's no point in you know trading a couple of a second or a third or whatever it is a high prospect for Vernon Adams, right? So that was my question. I get to you guys because I think if the season's over or that's what Edmonton's focusing on, whatever you guys think. Yeah, it's an interesting one because with the way the rest of the West Division is playing, it's tough for Edmonton. It's going to be tough for Edmonton to get back into this no matter what. I don't know if I'm necessarily putting the weight of the world on Trey Ford's, you know, injured shoulder here when he comes back uh, and throwing him to the Wolves here in the Chris Jones Funhouse, so to say, uh, here this season necessarily. But I do think, I agree, I think he's the quarterback of the future for the team. Who's the guy in the meantime? Uh, well, we'll remain to be seen, and I uh, wouldn't be surprised if it changes every single week. Uh, should we get into talking about the games that happened this past weekend? Uh, let's start off with the first one here. Well, we were just talking about them. So the Calgary Stampeders beating the Elks 49-6. to uh, Mike, take it away. 
Yeah, this is a very interesting game. It featured about a 59-minute weather delay in the third quarter, uh, which was interesting. Um, but again, it, and it, just to give a little bit of a recap, uh, Trey Ford had a very good opening drive, went two for three, had one long pass. He finished with 50, mid-50s in passing yards uh, before leaving. And then he, he got injured, and it just seemed like uh, that was kind of the the uh, the momentum shifter in the game. It seemed like he left, and then as like all the air got left out of the, out of the Edmonton balloon, um, suddenly they forgot to play defense. And you know, Bowley by Mitchell looked like you know the Bowley by Mitchell MOP uh, of you know 2019 and 2018, etc., etc. Um, but I, I think this speech, guys, and we can kind of touch on this. Um, the results for me for Edmonton are kind of what you would expect from a team in search of consistency, from a team that's looking to uh, set their core. Um, and it's, it's very inconsistent. One week they look like, okay, yeah, they look like they're about to do something. And then the next week something happens. And they're very fragile when it comes to to something happening. And as a Bomber fan, speaking from experience, I know what that's like. Uh, it's not fun. Um, but you know what? Again, there's repeating, but it's uh, it's going to get better with Chris Jones. He has his track record of year two and onward being much more successful. Uh, but I'm wondering, guys, who does this speak? What do we make of Calgary here? I mean, they're coming here to Winnipeg, not to get into the into the into the preview part of it, because that's for Wednesday night. But you know, two wins over the Alps, they're unbeaten, four and zero, and I think they're four and zero. Yeah, four and zero, and five and zero, pitching on the five and zero Blue Bombers. We've seen Calgary look so good, and yet have two close, two close uh, wins as well, where they had to fight fight their way. Uh, for the victory, have we learned what Calgary is as far as getting in all facet points from every aspect of their team, defense, offense, special teams, or are we of the mindset that we need to wait till they play Saskatchewan? They need to wait till we till they play BC. Like when we talked about resumes as far as this undefeated season goals. How do you stack up Calgary's resume as far as legitimacy for the top in the West despite being only five games in? I, I don't know, Ryan. Does my does my question make sense? Yeah, I think you know, I think Calgary doesn't get enough credit for being undefeated at this point in the season. Like everybody was talking about BC until this week. Everybody's talking about Winnipeg. I put Calgary right in the same category as Winnipeg, and I'm very excited for the game coming up this week because it's two teams that are undefeated. Had some close ones that they gutted out victories, which good football teams do, and they've had some dominant wins there along the way as well. I, I mean, I, I like what we're seeing from Calgary in all facets right now. You know, Bo Levi Mitchell seems to be on his game. I wouldn't say he's necessarily lighting it up, uh, like the bow numbers of the past, you know, massive numbers, but 
he's, you know, he's producing very well. He's putting up a Zach Caleros-like games uh, pretty much, and that's seemingly effective, especially when your run game, they had, you know, 150 yards uh, rushing throughout the, uh, the game this week as well. Uh, you know, defense chipped in a lot. Cam Judge was huge in this one. The return game, you had Peyton Logan, 122-yard missed field goal return touchdown. Uh, like, things are rolling uh, for Calgary right now. We've got a good comment here in the chat from Hussey's Huddle that says, I think what's scary about Calgary is that they haven't really got Bagleton going yet. They're just a super well-rounded team, can run the ball, good offensive line, defense is solid, coaching staff is always great. Yeah, I'm high on what I've seen from Calgary lately. Uh, what do you think, Trey? Oh, sorry, I hit the wrong button. Yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to this game this weekend too, but I've never been high on Calgary, but I'm going to have to start getting high on Calgary. Bo Levi is doing what is what he does best, right? And the funny thing is he's not throwing for 300 yards and he's not, he's only throwing 22 passes and they're still getting wins. That's makes Calgary even more dangerous and that they, they can run the ball. What's my keys run the ball and make field goals. And other than make one miss, I think it was a miss that ended a streak, you know, Paredes makes field goals and they run the ball and Bo Levi has the arm to do the rest. So, you know, I, you know, that's a better, better. I'm really interested in what this line's going to be on Wednesday when we talk about it and going into Friday night. Cause I could see Calgary be favored, you know, and yeah, Winnipeg's defense might be better. And, but also I think Calgary's had more games this year that they've been offensively impressive than Winnipeg. So, and Winnipeg's defense is no slouch either. They played really well. Yes. Against the Elks, but you know, Bombers played what Ottawa twice, Toronto, and now BC, BC was like the one real test. And they, you know, so I, this game, says a lot about Calgary and I think the game this week is going to say either even more about whoever uh, comes out on top here's a question that, that I've kind of surmised and it kind of goes along with what you said what you said uh Trey have we seen Bo Levi Mitchell change his game at all in the last couple of years because it seems to me um again I hate to use this label because it was a it was a Matt Nichols label that was given to him here are we seeing ball go from misguided control for 425 yards to a dive that is comfortable throwing for 225, two touchdowns and protect the ball? Whereas I think ball from four or five years ago would have been, let's throw for 375 and five touchdowns and win 47-44. So my question is, have we seen ball change his game at all in the last number of years and maybe have the injuries? Forced him to change his game, or is that just the natural progression and maturity of Bowley by Mitchell as he's getting older? Because, quite honestly, I see the same thing from his counterpart, what's going to be on Friday night, in, in Zach Kalaros. So, are we seeing these West quarterbacks get smarter? Because they don't seem to really turn the ball over an awful lot. And I'm just wondering if that's a Bowley by Mitchell change to his game that we've seen. I think it just helps having the the run game as successful as it's been too, right? Where he doesn't have to do that anymore. And I, I know there were some good running backs also in Calgary, you know, uh, John Cornish, Jerome Messam, like in the recent years. But then there were a couple of years there where they were kind of finding their next guy. You know, was it Don Jackson? Was it Kadeem Carey? Well, it's Kadeem Carey, and they've got a great backup in Peyton Logan as well. And that's just opening things up. It's allowing Bo Levi Mitchell 
to have games like this and still have the offense flourish. And I don't really think in the modern CFL that you need to throw 300-yard games in order to have a successful offensive effort. I mean, look at Zach Caleros' record uh, in a Bombers uniform, 21-22-2 or something like that at this point. And he has two games over 300 yards. It's the same thing, Bo Levi Mitchell. I agree. There's, I think, a lot of comparisons to his game now to what we see from Caleros. And he's finding the guys and they're making plays. Uh, you know, Hussey's Huddle in the chat mentions, how about Malik Henry leading the league in receiving yards? Who saw that coming this year? We expected Kamar Jordan. We expected Reggie Bagleton to be the top two guys for Calgary. We also expected, you know, maybe some input from the other guys stepping up here and there. Calgary finds those diamonds in the rough. But Henry has been an insanely good the past couple of games. And we'll, we'll get more into talking about him later on uh, in the show. You know, guys are stepping up and that's helping uh, Bo Levi Mitchell succeed here, Trey. No, yeah, I agree, and and I don't know what to say about Calgary because I was on Bo Levi saying slow Viva Levi, so I think I'm going to keep my mouth shut for the remainder of the Calgary time. Uh, you know, I, I'll admit I, I'll eat my words on this, and Calgary did every year what they always do. Everyone hopes they lose, and they don't. So you know, it, this again we talked about last or the last week BC Winnipeg being a Great Cup rematch or Western Final match or a potential match. This is another one, right? It's crazy. The West could literally, could you see any of the four top teams in the West really make, they could make it deep into the playoffs or great cup, right? Could we really make an argument that any of the four can't other than Edmonton, right? So I'm really excited for the West here and I'm going to stop talking bad about Calgary. I don't know about you, but I'm envisioning this movie where Saskatchewan crosses over, goes to play in the great cup, goes to play Winnipeg, in Regina, and what a story that would be. <laughs> like, I realize a lot has to happen, but you know what? One can dream, and if there's any year where that might be realistic, it might be this season, but we have a long ways to go. Uh, really quickly, in about 20 seconds or less from both of you, uh, where does Edmonton go from here, Trey? Uh could they tank for Bedard or is that the NHL? No, I think they'd have to. I think I never want to say it's over in the CFL, but I, I, I'm not sure. Did we talk about how long Trey Ford's injury could be? I might have missed that or even if it's announced yet. So I think you kind of got to reevaluate there. Again, I like the idea maybe shut him down, even if it's a five, six, seven week injury and just go for 2023, new year. Give Chris Jones some more time to fine tune that defense and get your offense healthy. But all right. Yeah, for me as well, uh, you know, Edmonton's got a lot of injuries now, too. I mean, a lot of teams have a lot of injuries, but it seems like the Elks are piling them up here on uh, on the defensive side of the ball as well. You know, it's a rough start to the year. They're beaten down. It's tough. I want to see Edmonton win a home game this year. The streak is now at a thousand days plus since they last won a game at home, which is wow. Um Go out there, put up a big game out on the field, get your fans excited, and uh, then go back out there and do another one after that. Again, I think they'll be better as the season goes along, but I'm not so sure if we're going to see a rotation of quarterback each and every week. And, well, I guess they're doing a good job of kind of thinning that down now. I mean, Trey Ford, unfortunately, injured. They got rid of Nick Arbuckle. Now you think it's 
Cornelius and Kyle Oxley probably rotating in and out. But uh, let's stop the circus, maybe. Let's uh, and, and you know get a consistent lineup out there is what I think Edmonton needs to do to do better here. Fantasy people probably have their heads on a swivel this week because we find out news that Duran Carter is back at practice. So let's see. Let's see what kind of. Let's see what kind of shenanigans Chris Jones is up to this week. Uh, speaking about it, we've already talked about the shenanigans that led to this football in this football game, uh, which was our second game of the week. But let's talk about the game that actually was played on the field, which saw the Saskatchewan Rough Riders uh, move to four and one in a 28-13 victory at Mosaic uh, Stadium. Over the Ottawa Red Blacks, who fall to 0 and 4. Guys, despite despite what we talked about earlier on, because I don't want to talk about it again. Because if you want to hear our thoughts on that scenario, uh, you can rewind this podcast uh, to the beginning if you happen to uh, miss it. But what well, I was talking about on the field here: uh, Cody Fajardo, uh, Jamal Morrow. The Saskatchewan defense seemingly taking positive steps again en route to this 4-1 record. Um, somewhat validating their loss, I, I think, in Montreal uh, with the short week and now following up with two solid efforts at home. Uh, they go to touchdown Atlanta this week against Toronto. Uh, that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I can't wait to see that game uh, Saturday afternoon. But do the Riders the riders continue to build in my mind, whereas the Red Blacks, to me, seem to have kind of dropped off after those first two games against Winnipeg. Uh, you know, you looked like you could see something there. And granted, their quarterback went down. Um, Mazzoli, and now all of a sudden there seem to be questions as to who could be Ottawa's quarterback. It's, it's clear that that kid that played last year might not be in the plans uh, beyond this week. Um, I don't want to say two teams heading in opposite directions here, but boy, oh boy, oh boy, the Riders will be running away with the division right now if they were in any other division but the West, and they still could finish first. Uh, they have games left with Calgary and three uh, with Winnipeg for sure. Um, what did you think of it? And we had one comment. I think it's already been displayed. Uh, probably a very well-balanced game, both aspects of the running and passing game. So my question to you guys is, Are we have we seen enough of the riders to be convinced? And might it be time to kind of say to the riders, Okay, we see you at four and one. Now's your chance to take on BC, Calgary, and Winnipeg and sort of level up for them, Trey. Oh, sorry, did you call me? My, I missed my name there. Um, yeah, I think this, this West is a cluster, boys. I don't know how to talk about it, right? Looking at the standings, five and oh, four and oh, four and one, three and one. Like 
and you're trying to ask me if we've seen enough from Saskatchewan. Are you insane, man? Like, we haven't seen anything from these Western teams, Mike. We got They haven't barely played each other. Calgary's played Edmonton. Winnipeg played BC once. Who did Saskatchewan play? Edmonton? I don't even know. Like, these guys, they've never really played the big dogs yet other than Winnipeg and BC. Tell me at Labor Day if we've seen enough from Saskatchewan because that those those three games in September, uh, I think they're all three in September. Maybe the third one's in October. Tell me then if we've seen enough from Saskatchewan. Yeah, they're doing great. I think they have a big chance of making the playoffs crossover West. I think week five, guys, how do we say this, that we've seen enough from him? We're, we're saying that Edmonton still could bounce back potentially. So how do we know? About the, I don't even know, guys. I'm tired of these power rankings and everything. Those four teams are number one pretty – like they're interchangeable. I, I think Saskatchewan could beat Winnipeg or Calgary. I think BC could beat Winnipeg, Calgary, Saskatchewan. They could all beat each other. It's insane. Just kick out the other seven teams, and these four teams should be in the playoffs, honestly, at this point. So, all right. Well, I don't know how to sum it up better than you just did there, Trey. Um, but my thing I want – I'd like to know – who abducted Jason Moz and uh, who is standing on that sideline? Cause that ain't the Jason Moz offense I'm used to seeing. There was so much creativity there uh, in the way they used the run game. Oh, Jamal Morrow, 16 carries 78 yards. Frankie Hickson gets a 63 yard touchdown run uh, has five carries in there. Like, this offense looks fun. It's fun to watch. It's not what we saw last year, which was Cody Fajardo throw a deep ball every second play and not hit most of them until they brought in Duke Williams. Um, I believe Adam's here in the YouTube chat saying uh, he, uh, Jason Moss hasn't killed a Gatorade container yet. Yeah, see, it's this isn't the real Jason Moss. If there's any signs of alien life forms out there, it's the Saskatchewan Rough Riders offensive game plan um, because it's great. And their defense has stepped up and their special teams is stepping up here uh, as well. Uh, I'm very impressed with what I've seen from the Riders so far here uh, this season. Guys, there's one solution to fix this mumbo-jumbo in the West. You want to hear it? And it might be simple. But I think it's going to be very important. Oh, no. God, I hope he was going to say one division. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I'm not going to say one division. I got my my computer back, so I'm getting used to this this touch mouse. Uh, Anyway, that being said, there's one solution to this whole mess of how to fix the mumbo-jumbo in the West, and it's not one division. For this year anyway, because I know Cap makes a great point about if you were to lead, what do you do to make the lead more competitive? We'll, we'll get into that in a minute. There's one solution to this whole thing. It sounds very elementary. Finish first in the West! And you have that game on your home field, and the other two can just duke it out. I think, guys, the value of this West division buy? Um, and now being referred to as Rogers, nice, nice, nice. Uh, but no, no. In in all seriousness, I think this year so far, so far, we're going to learn about the value of that Western Division first, first overall spot because it's one less game in this titanic little square of four. I I hate to call it a triangle. A triangle would be three teams. 
but a square would be kind of opposite of what we're dealing with in the West, a winning square. Okay, that's what we'll call it. Don't give me credit for the name because it's probably just the dumbest name I've ever come up with. But but I've been known to do much stranger things on this podcast. Uh, but anyway, in all seriousness, the buy, yeah, the buy um, is going to be very important this year. And again, the longer this goes, this just opens up the kettle of fish for one division, which, believe it or not, Edmonton, Hamilton, all those types of teams would still be in the running for the last playoff spot, depending where you did the cutoff. It's just amazing. It's just amazing to me, guys. I want to talk about the Ottawa side of this game a little bit, uh, because obviously the big news is Jeremiah Mazzoli being out long term here. Well, I, I think you kind of alluded to, Mike, this kind of seems like a step back here for Ottawa. It seemed like, you know, of all the teams struggling out east, I gave them the, the most credit of the team I thought was still pretty legit because they played Winnipeg, they played BC, they put, and they played Winnipeg twice in there. I mean, Saskatchewan, again, not an easy opponent either. The Red Blacks may have the most difficult schedule thus far, arguably, of any team. Uh, you could potentially argue that, I think. But uh, it certainly seemed like a step back here again. Offensively, Jeremiah Mazzoli did throw a touchdown pass, but that's only the second passing touchdown, maybe third offensive touchdown this team has put up in three, uh, four games now at this point for Ottawa. I think they had one bye week in there. What do you do, especially with, uh, you know, with Nick Arbuckle coming in, with Caleb Evans taking over in the meantime, perhaps? What do you do here to spark this offense for a team that seemingly brought in a lot of good pieces this offseason, Trey? Can you guys hear me? Run the ball, <laughs> right? That That's it. They had not even 60 yards with William Powell. And they, and then you see the other side, there's over 150 between two guys. And the Rough Riders, and we're talking about Ottawa, but they had this formation. And I don't usually try to get into formation mumbo-jumbo, but I really liked it. It was like a pistol with Fajardo, and he had three or four guys in the backfield with him. Receivers, running backs, you didn't know who was going to get the ball. And like you said, who is this coach? Who is this Jason Moss offense having four running backs in the backfield at one time? And, you know, and guess what? It worked for them. And guess what? Maybe Ottawa, you should do the same. You have William Powell, and you're going to have a guy like Trevor, Trevor Harris who, yeah, exactly. Exactly, Adam. Man, it, it, one thing the Saskatchewan education system it teaches uses trace theorem to win a football game, man. And that is it. Run the ball. And yeah, you have William Powell. You're going to have some quarter, inexperienced quarterback in Caleb Evans, or you're going to have Trevor Harris run the damn ball boys. And that's all I got. And and then that's going to open up your receivers and it's going to take tire the defense. And it's how you play football. I don't know why these CFL coaches are handing the ball off less than 15 times in a game. And they're rushing for less than 70, 80, 90 yards. It, it, it's super easy to get 100 yards in the CFL. There's at least one team a week doing it. So why isn't all nine trying? It's it's ridiculous, guys. So I could have my own rant show about this. Not to mention it's Paul Apolis offense, too, that you kind of expect more from in terms of dynamics there. Right, Mike? Yeah, Trey bringing the spices tonight. I like it. Um no, guys, one thing that's... It's all the ice cream, boys. It's all the ice cream. I want a huge sugar rush right now, man. 
Okay, fight this shutter. You, you did the drill. Uh, the, the other interesting part of this to me, what this screams, is certainly looks like to them the hard part of their schedule is over with. Uh, they're 0-4. They're looking at the rest of that division going, we're one game back at first place. Uh, we have a good chance as any here to win. Uh, that's what this tells me. Um, and they bring it in to be at a relatively low risk, a fourth rounder. For a quarterback that we have seen has had success. And Paul LaFelice, offensive genius, we've seen it in Winnipeg. That is as bad as this Red Black team has looked through four weeks. I'm not ready to write them off just yet, and I have a feeling there might be a playoff game at TD Stadium, TD Play Stadium. You heard it right here as part of my hot tape. Yeah, but they're going to be five and thirteen and somehow win the East, and that's it, it, you know it, the beasts it's, of the East, right? And it's going to be another great cup. Like we're going to have like a five and thirteen against you know Calgary, Winnipeg, who's going to be like thir- fifteen and three, and it's going to be disgusting. And somehow the East team's going to win in a snow fest and mosaic, and it's. And then was like, see, this is why we don't do one division. Sorry, I'm I'm having a day today, guys. I had a rough weekend doing horse racing stuff. I just need to vent. Trey no, coming I, in I, off I, the I, bench I, and bringing the heat. I love it. Well, seriously, I also think there's another way to combat that one division uh, matrix. If you're so set on, if you're so set on going, um, if you're so set on just divisional alignment okay fine you know what do your divisional alignment whatever but reseed the teams within that because in the event of a six or seven uh win team hosted the eastern semifinal which is very possible i think is it prime that the west division team has to go on the road to play them just me just me how would i feel about 10 or 11 wins and I gotta go play a seven-win team in their place for a home playoff game, but that—that that is up for debate. Just because I feel it ranting and that into the pile tonight, but I think they should reseed the teams according to the teams that make it. If you're so set on this division icon, um, I, I whatever it is, it is. Um, we don't make the rules; we're just fans. Uh, final game of the week, really quickly. Uh, this one shouldn't spice too much controversy. Uh, other than it was a vanilla showing or lack thereof. Maybe a vanilla light showing from the team that thought they were going to feed a vanilla light offense. Well, either way, um, a learning lesson for Nathan Ward for sure. A learning lesson for the BC Lions, but well, I like to use this line all the time. You're the champs until proven uh, differently. Uh, and the Bombers showed why they are one of the best teams, one of the best teams in the CFL. And to be honest with you, I think it motivated. What did we hear all of last week, guys, just before we get into this game? The BC Lions and Nathan Ward. The BC Lions and Nathan Ward. The PC Lions are dead. The BC Lions are good. Don't think that doesn't get into that bomber dressing room, short week or not. And then you hear those comments coming off the plane, which 
gotten shown took very personal, I decided to do something about it. Guys, this showed me that the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are for real. They might not win every game. Fair enough. But to go from the East on Monday, play that game, go home, deal with the time change and what all that post-travel stuff that you have to deal with. It's one day of practice. A lot of video sessions. Go to the other side of the country and put forth your best effort of the season when your first four efforts, despite being four and over under the microscope. I think the Bombers took that personal just as much as BC wanted a measuring stick. And you want to talk about an MOP? That was Zach Talaros' best game as the Blue Bomber. And that quarterback on the other side of the field certainly took notice. And hey, not here to write off BC before I turn it over to you, Ryan. The BC Lions have a great football team that shouldn't get the cheered from one effort against one of the greatest walking football dynasties that this league has seen in some time. And if the Bombers try to complete the three-peat and do it, it would be a dynasty. But this Bomber winning, this Bomber winning track uh, that they've been on for the last, well, since 19 and that Palaz comes in. To be a question, who's the only quarterback of significance to be the Blue Bombers since Palaz has been the Winnipeg? His name is Nick Arbuckle. One game where Kalaus hasn't rested. This is an amazing, amazing run. As Bomber fans, but I know we're crapping on this team. And they had very little expectations in this game. It's time to get out from under the cupboard. Time to get out, out from under the bed. And just embrace the winning that's going on. And BC was served. Not humble pie because that wouldn't be quite right. But BC just learned what it takes to take, what it's what it's going to take to get to that next step. And I'll tell you what, BC is very close to coming and being a very serious contender in the CFL. Ryan. Yeah. Well, uh, first of all, I got to give some credit here. I think to I think it's to Trey. Maybe it was Adam on our preview show this week who said uh, this felt like the week Janarian Grant was going to take one back for the Bombers. And uh, well, I'm driving home from the cabin on Saturday and got the game on the radio. And what do I hear first play? Boom! Janarian Grant off to the end zone. Ain't nobody got uh, even came close to touching him on that one. What a way to start a football game. And also weird that twice now in one season we've seen that happen, right? Montreal did that with uh, Chandler Worthy a few weeks ago. That set the tone right away. You got the big Jackson Jeff code interception. You got the offense on the roll there. I think Dalton Schoen had the touchdown shortly after, make it 14 0. Like it was 21 0 Winnipeg here at the end of the first quarter. And it's certainly not what we were expecting to see from both of these teams in this game. I think a lot of us were leaning BC's direction here. Then all of a sudden, BC started to get themselves back in it a little bit in the second quarter. But then Winnipeg, uh, again, solid second half here to end off the game. So I loved everything I saw here from the Bombers. You know, good teams, they find their way to, to get up and play these big games, and uh, they delivered in this one. And I thought all around they were great here, but uh, I'll, I'll let Trey talk a little bit more about the specifics of uh, what you liked here from the Bombers. 
Well, they did something we haven't seen all year. They combined for 141 rushing yards. Uh, Adam's joking in their personal chat about Trey's theorem of rushing. Well, yeah, they finally rushed the ball, and they also did something else. We talked about uh, Henry Malik at Calgary being the leader in receiving, but guess who? which team has two guys in the top five right now? It's the blue and gold. They got uh, Greg Ellingson, who came in, and the Kansas State Wildcat, Dalton Schoen. Who who the heck is this guy? I remember watching him in the preseason game. So I hope Kenny Lawler's enjoying those big checks in Edmonton because, you know, these two guys are picking up the slack and some in the receiving game. We got a running – for one week, we got a decent running game. Legs somehow starts making field goals. We don't know, and I said Grant's going to go for one. This team is, again, I'm not trying to sound too much like a homer because I've been down on them, but this was finally the game that they started showing every aspect pretty perfectly. I don't know if we could really pick apart much other than, what, two minutes before halftime. The defense got a little lazy, but, they, you know, it, sometimes that just happens, and BC does have a very talented offense, right? So kudos to all these guys. Yeah, I think they're. I actually don't mind this whole three running back thing they're doing. I don't care how you pick up the yards, you got to pick them up. Caleros is playing smart football, not throwing many picks. And yeah, then you're going to always have a great special teams play when Coach Osh's or Coach Osh's or coach, right? So turn it back to you guys. Whoever's next, uh, I think it's Mike. There we go. Probably I don't have Rogers. Um, anyway, yeah, I, I agree. I think. We need to see some creativity from offenses. Uh, this three running back thing is not what I saw in the cards. Uh, it leaves the open discussion amongst OCs about who Winnipeg's number one running back might be. You look at the distribution, pretty even yards, pretty even. All of them bring a different style. Uh, Craig, Craig, Craig McCray brings a Nick Dembski type of style. Brady Oliveira is that sort of bruiser. When you need five, six yards, you can power forward. Uh, the other thing that I notice is Johnny Idacine is that shot of explosiveness that you need. It's two, two to three, depending on what week you look at it, different style of running backs. And it's going to cause a lot of extra preparation. But Another interesting thing that I just want to mention and try to piggyback off what Trey said and we pretend to both discuss this. In this game, you know, every game the Bombers seem to have two different guys that lead the charge at wide receiver. It's Dominic, it was Bailey and it was uh, uh, Bailey and then it was uh, Walatarski in Toronto. This game it was uh, Dalton Schoen who put on a Schoen effort. Schoen being nice. In German, uh, I was told that Schoen's name in German is actually Schoen, which is wonderful, nice in German. But also Greg Ellingson. I mean, you tell me that based on what we've seen with Kenny Lawler's performance in Edmonton, that the Bombers aren't getting more bang for their buck from a guy like Greg Ellingson, who's that second down clutch. You need a big catch, he's going to get it. And all of a sudden, they got this firecracker in Dalton Schoen who made some nice catches, who shows no fear, who, if he keeps this up, might not only be rookie of the year, but might be one and done here in Winnipeg as far as NFL opportunities go. 
but when was the last time we could say we had an impact receiver at rookie from guy that really had to earn a spot in rookie camp uh, to be able to uh, do that, which, which is really good. Now, the other side of this, Nathan Warren making some amazing throws, including another 125-yard-plus game. I think he wound up with 142 yards or something to that nature from Dominic Grimes. And a running game from BC. But in this game, seemed a little bit non-existent. We saw that Butler kind of game where he had that four-touchdown game in week one and was injured, I think, in week two and some of week three, if I'm not mistaken. But the BC Lions were not able to manhandle the ball or handle the ball, I guess, with their running game. And Winnipeg was able to chew up a lot of clock by using one of their three uh, running backs. What do you think BC goes from here? Because personally, Ryan, I think it's just a blip on the radar. But could BC take any lessons from Winnipeg? And BC is always trying to become Winnipeg. Much like when Winnipeg was in BC's shoes, they're trying to become the next Calgary. We're trying to, you know, be that team, but, you know, that next great team to always beat the, you know, to use a hockey reference to beat Tampa Bay or to beat Colorado. Winnipeg is the hunted right now. BC's shown that they have the propensity to be there. But, Ryan, what's it going to take for them to get to that next step, that consistent step of, okay, this wasn't just three wins. This, you know, there's, there's some validity behind that. And if you're Rick Campbell, Ryan, how do you sell that, okay, this was a blip on the radar, but if you go back and play in your first three games largely the way you didn't, the way you did that the rest of the year, and you still have two more crafts at Winnipeg. How do you stay positive despite this being that one, that one blip on the radar? Because to me, this isn't. Oh no, BC's in big trouble. In fact, I see it the other way around. Yeah, you know, for me, like I kind of said this on the preview show last Wednesday that I think this is going to be an exciting game between these two teams, but I don't know if this game will necessarily tell us anything dramatic about either of them. I, we saw very good things from Winnipeg and does, do I think they're a little bit more legit after a statement game like this? Yeah, I do. But do I think this is doom and gloom for BC after this blowout loss? No, I don't. I think in fact, I liked what I saw still in some of this game from the Lions. You talk about things to rally around. If you're, you know, Rick Campbell and you're talking to the team, you look at those couple minutes before halftime where Nathan Rourke had a very slow start to this game threw a couple dimes down the field. You mentioned Dominic Grimes, Josh Pearson had a long touchdown pass, beautiful throws there, got the Lions right back into it. This shows me, yeah, you know, they the, the second half kind of got away from them as well. The time of possession was a big problem. I think that's why we didn't see as much James Butler in this one because 21-0 start early in the game. Well, then you're starting to maybe not run the ball quite as much here. But I still saw some good things from BC. It seems like a team that's, you know, a bit of a spunky team that's going to fight for a lot of wins here yet this season. And Nathan Rourke, you know, arguably first true test of adversity maybe it was the game before against ottawa uh but i thought he still had a decent game 278 yards three touchdowns two interceptions you don't like those uh necessarily 
But if we're talking about that being a bad game for Nathan Rourke, I feel like that's still a decent game for a lot of quarterbacks around the CFL. So uh, I'm not low on the Lions after this one. I think they're going to bounce back just fine here uh, in short order coming out of it. Interesting thing is that they're on another bye week this week, right? So uh, now coming out of this loss, how do they prepare coming out of the bye week is what's going to be interesting to me. Uh, Trey, what do you think of what we saw from the Lions here? Yeah, to answer Mike's question, if there's anything smaller than a blip, that's what this is going to be. I think it's a very, it, it's going to be the game because like they play twice at the end of the season. This game's not going to matter by October, right? These two teams are going to be completely different teams by then. Winnipeg could lose the next ten, and BC could win the next, or vice versa. Anything could happen, right? So. I think this is a smaller blip. They are lucky. They get another bye week. Well, I mean, they're lucky now to get a bye week, but they're going to miss out on it later in the year, I guess. And I believe their next game is Hamilton at home, and Hamilton's no real prize either. So hopefully they get a little bit of a tune-up game before they go into Mosaic the week after, right? So I still think BC's got a good shot at first, second in the division, and and. Like I think it's rolling dice at this point. We should just be pl- like flipping coins to see which team should be first right now. If, if the season was almost over, right? If this was a USFL season of six weeks, it, it's so hard to tell. And no, I don't think BC is in any trouble here. You know, it, it, it's going to be a shame that one of these four teams are going to be fourth. It, it, it really is. And and we can all have, we we need to have a special show about the one division or something because that's an hour talk right there, right? So. Real shame that Saskatchewan, BC, Calgary, or Winnipeg are going to be fourth. But yeah, BC is fine. BC is in a good place. They're they're going to keep going, and their crowd looks like they're staying the same and keep going. And yes, Ryan, we'll move on to betting. Don't worry, buddy. I see that. Yeah, we'll we'll move on. Let's go. <laughs> One more thing quickly that I want to jump in on, and this had nothing to do with this game. If if you guys don't mind, is it's the schedule. Uh, the Bombers have not had a bye. Uh, Saskatchewan has not had a bye, yet you have Toronto, and yet you have BC, that after this week will have had two of their three bye weeks. Uh, it's just, it's it's strange to me. Um, but, I, but again, I, I would also argue that BC's byes have come at exactly the right time now. I don't know if you want to, you know, sit on your most uh, lopsided loss of the season going into a bye, but... You know, it, it's it's interesting. The two teams, more teams have had one buy. Some teams have had two buys before. Two teams have not had one buy. So, as a master scheduler for a hockey league here in town, I don't understand it. Uh, I personally would not build a schedule like what they're building, but I'd love to sit down with the CFL master scheduler and just see the intricacies of everything. Going forward, and it's just interesting to me that you know these buys are so kind of sporadic. How we have Calgary, uh, how we have Calgary even on one buy. Uh, Calgary then goes on a buy after playing Winnipeg and then sees them again uh, in Calgary. So you know you're at three teams potentially in the next couple of weeks, but are at two buys already. While Winnipeg and Saskatchewan have yet to have one, and there might be a couple other teams. Uh, but I've not had a buy yet. It's it's just really interesting to me how the intricacies of the schedule, and I think it screams we need ten teams to not only balance the divisions out, but to eliminate this bye week 
distribution, which is a little bit odd to say the least. And how Toronto has a bye week after playing Winnipeg. Yet Winnipeg has to play a short week. Yet Toronto goes to goes out east to play touchdown Atlanta this weekend. Like there's there's a lot of things that don't make sense. And I'm wondering if that's going to be to the benefit of Winnipeg and Saskatchewan down the stretch is to have some bye weeks when presumably you're more banged up um, to be able to benefit, you know, the rest versus, you know, we've clearly seen that the Bombers can come up short week. I, I just think in general that the schedule is very interesting this year uh, as far as the bye weeks go. But that was kind of just my two cents from that whole scenario. Uh, my answer is if you look at the teams on the last four weeks of buys, it's all the Western teams except for BC. And what does BC and Southern Ontario have in common? They're nice in October. That's my that's my honest answer, right? It's the four West teams, I believe. Uh, looking quickly at the schedule, Edmonton has the last week. Winnipeg has second last week. Calgary has third last week. Fourth last, sorry, fourth last week in Saskatchewan. Yeah, so it's the it's the coldest places to play in October. Have the buys the last four weeks. I, I think that's my simplest, and I think it has to do with they schedule the divisions playing each other more near the end, right? Yeah. So the Western teams has to sit out if you do that. So I think it's hand in hand. Now I know Toronto is in, and the some of the Southern Ontario teams aren't drawing the big crowds in October, but I think the assumption is you want they're going to have nice weather down there when in Winnipeg. In, you know, I, if the Bombers already clinched a playoff spot in October, we're not really going into a minus 30 game in October. You know what I mean? Like, especially on a Jets game day, right? Yeah. It, and yeah, you got things like, yeah. It's also, it's also interesting, right? Because the Bombers are in a stretch, I think, of six and seven on the road. So, you know, they, they played their last two. Now they come home for this one game here against Calgary. And they go on the road for three, I think it is, before coming home. And then going on the road for two more. So, yeah, it, it's a very interesting schedule that way. And, you know, at the end of the day, guys, I say this to my teams all the time, but, you know, have a gripe about the schedule. You're playing games. It's all that really matters. At the end of the day, everybody gets to 18 games and has relatively the same schedule uh, within your division. So it, it all evens out. Um, I don't know. I, I just found it more of an interesting path, uh, more so than any entry. I hadn't even taken your thought uh, into consideration. Uh, that was a astute observation by yourself. Uh, but again, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I I still think it's going to benefit to have a buy in the back half of the season versus having your buy now. But uh, we'll see. It's all part of the 18-game odyssey that is the CFL. Of lots of twists and turns. Well said. Yes, looking forward to seeing how things play out throughout the remainder of the season. Let's get into taking a look at our uh, our picks and our fantasy league results for week number five in the CFL. Uh, every week on our preview show, uh, Trey, Adam, and myself, we make our weekly picks. Uh, we talk through fantasy options, etc. Uh, how did we do on the picks this week, Trey? Uh, I'm thinking it wasn't great. Sorry, guys. Give me one second. I thought I had the file up, and I don't here. Uh, see, I wasn't prepared. I thought I was sitting out tonight. Uh, it's right here. We did not do good. The first game of the week, I took Edmonton, and Ryan and Adam both took Calgary. Let me see here. I think it was three and a half. Yeah, it was three and a half. 
I did not get that one as if they won by like 50 or felt like. So yeah, I, uh, I lost the first game and Adam and Ryan won the first game. Second game, Ottawa, we all took Ottawa plus six over Saskatchewan. Again, didn't do too good. All got that one wrong. And then the end of the week, we all took BC minus three and a half. And again, the Bombers showed us that uh, we can't, shouldn't bet against them right now. So after that, Ryan's at eight and 11. I'm at nine and 10. And Mr. Farmer, man, uh, got the inside. I don't know. Does the wheat tell him who's going to win? I don't know what happens out there, but uh, he's got 10 and nine right now, Adam. So something's going on out there in that field. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he's got some, I don't know. <laughs> the track whisperer out there telling him the picks. <laughs> Uh, yes, uh, Adam uh, crushing us this week. Well, well, I guess me and him tied at one and two records, but uh, he does have the overall lead on the season in that regard in our weekly picks. Uh, in the CFL Podcast Fantasy League, uh, Trey, Adam, myself, playing alongside 14 other uh, CFL podcasters. Uh, in the first edition of Canadian Football Countdown Civil War, I take this one. I beat Adam. Uh, thank you, Dalton Schoen. Thank you, Frankie Hickson couple cheap value plays taking the win in that one i improved to five and oh on the season undefeated still uh all i do is win uh meanwhile adam drops to three and two uh trey you did fall to brazilian tie from the two and out cfl podcast dropping to two and three on the season there follow all the fantasy results at cfl pod fantasy on twitter check out all the other great podcasts involved there as well in our little fantasy league, we did our draft preseason, uh, and uh, we've been playing every week. Uh, we have a first-time weekly winner. Mike puts up 115 points this week. Adam came in second at 81.4. Trey in third at 72.4. And me, well, when the BC Lions aren't putting up 30 fantasy points each, uh, it really hurts my lineup, and uh, I finished with 57.9. Uh, overall totals on the season, Adam in first at 494.1. I am in second at 436.8. Mike moves into third spot at 387.7. And Trey in the rear with 358.5. Uh, Mike, what do you have to say for your uh, your dominant victory here this week? Yeah, I think uh, I put this in the group chat. It's a minor Christmas miracle, but I was able to... I uh, just pulled off. I know I had Dalton Schoen and uh, Dominic Ryan's in my lineup, but uh, boy, can we all shed a few tears about my quarterback situation. Uh, for, for context, everybody, I released uh, Dane Evans, added Trey Ford, thinking I would uh, fare quite well while two drives in, five-something fantasy points later, he doesn't uh, make it out of the game, and then Great, I got Jeremiah Mazzoli as my other quarterback, and, well, you all know what happened there. Uh, his season is over for the next 10 to 12 weeks. So I am, uh, general manager Gerald is on the hunt for a quarterback, and what conclusion has he come up with? Stay tuned. Hey, you were the one who petitioned for injured reserve spots preseason. You should have pitched for five. Maybe we would have given it to you because <laughs> you seem like you need them uh, with the number of guys going down. Uh, Adam just messaged us and said the Gophers whisper the picks for him. Uh, so that's your answer there, Trey. Uh, what do you make of this week of CFL fantasy uh, and your results this week? 
I need to do better. That's all I got. I need to do better all around betting fantasy. <clears throat> the only thing I do good on this show is have rants and find awesome hats and eat ice cream boys. You know, that's, that's all I am. It's better than anything else. The rest of us do. So uh, let's get into our players of the week here for week. Number five. Uh, let's take a look at our players of the week. I'll pull them up here on the screen for those watching the video with us. Uh, Adam is first up on the list for players of the week. Uh, he chose uh, running back Frankie Hickson of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Five carries, 92 yards, one touchdown, a catch in two yards. Oh yeah, and he is the backup running back in Saskatchewan. Uh, getting involved there, making an impact, and uh, bringing some life to that Riders run game and that Riders offense. So kudos to Frankie Hickson for a nomination of Player of the Week. Uh, Mike, who do you got? Well, my Player of the Week, quite simply, because this guy was do a breakout game. It's it's uh, Janarian Grant of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers for running back to Stitloff. Uh, it seems like this is an occasion which should be celebrated every single time uh, because it's rarely ever happened. Uh, the poor contest winner that should have won a million dollars but had it washed out because of a holding fall. Uh, really something in quite remarkable. Uh, Janarian Grant, seven returns for a grand total of 167 yards, including a 97-yarder to open up the game. Uh, I, for me, this is just player of the week, quite simply on the basis of it doesn't happen very often and it should be celebrated more. So Janarian Grant, you get my player of the week. For just being a great, having a great game and just about running back to such a moment, which is called back for a hold. All right, my player of the week is wide receiver Malik Henry of the Calgary Stampeders. Six catches, six targets, 150 yards, one touchdown. Uh, we got the comment earlier in the chat. League's leading receiver. Who saw that coming? Uh, he did it back-to-back -back games against the Elks, putting up massive performances. Uh, including one really long touchdown. He made a nice move, took it to the house there. Uh, he's making a name for himself as Bo Levi Mitchell's go-to guy, even though they did bring in Reggie Bagleton late last season. They've still got Kamar Jordan. Uh, mad respect to Malik Henry, and I think is a large part of the resurgence we've seen of Bo Levi Mitchell. So I give him my nod as player of the week for week number five. Trey, how about you? Boys, the ice cream's not done yet. We're going to have a little bit more for the player of the week here. That vanilla offense in Winnipeg. We're going to Zach Caleros. Man, you didn't put everything I put up there, but that's okay. 23 for 30, 76.7 completion rate, 288 yards, three touchdowns, and a Patrick Mahomes-style throw. But Patrick Mahomes didn't complete it in that Super Bowl, I don't believe, but Calero sure did. Man, that guy looked like an MOP out there. He looked like a quarter. That was a game where you look like as a quarterback who's 22-2 and two or whatever his record is in the last 24. Zach Claros, this one's for you, man. We're gonna have an, I'm going to eat ice cream all night, boys. I love it, Trey. I love it. Uh, honorable mentions as well to uh, Dalton Schoen, I think, deserves it. Eight catches, 117 yards, two touchdowns. Dominic Rimes, six catches, 136 yards, two touchdowns. Cam Judge had a massive game on defense for the Stampeders this week uh, as well. You know, uh, two fumble recoveries, a sack. A bunch of guys that could have made it in our Players of the Week, but uh, did not make the official cut here. Let's take a look at our power rankings for week number five. Uh, always a fun part of the show here as well. 
Uh, let me take a look. Uh, let's take a look at mine here first. I had a Winnipeg at number one. Uh, hard to argue that after their big win this week. Calgary at number two, undefeated still as well. Huge win over the Elks. BC drops to number three, but I still think they're a very good football team. The Riders still four. We talked about it earlier, those top four teams out west kind of being the, the pinnacle of the CFL right now. Uh, then we get into a little more troublesome territory with the with the picks here. Toronto at five for me. Uh, you know, they almost came back and beat the Bombers. I think they have shown some good things here still. Montreal at six. They were on a bye week here as well. Ottawa, I put at seven. I put Ottawa above Edmonton here, despite having one less win uh, because of their chances of getting back into things in the division, right? Ottawa, one win out of first place in the East right now. They bring in Nick Arbuckle. That helps as well. Edmonton, rough game this week. Don't really know what direction they're going in at quarterback. And then Hamilton still stays at number nine. They were on a bye week here. Uh, Mike, what do your power rankings look like this week? You're muted, Mike. We have a new change in Bedard. Um, Winnipeg, reluctantly, my number one. Uh, and I say reluctantly because you could easily put an argument uh, for for Calgary uh, being number one. But I gave it to Winnipeg just on the impressiveness of the two games in, in five days. Uh, Calgary remains undefeated, so they're footed at number two. BC, first loss of the year. Uh, three and one, they get number three. Saskatchewan, number four. Toronto, number five. Now, guys, I really, I don't know about you, and I, I think Ryan, you may have touched on this. I really have trouble with my rankings from five to nine. Uh, I, I feel like this, you know, could really be thrown in a blender or in an ice cream bucket, and you scoop one out, and that's where they are for that week. Uh, no, but in all seriousness, uh, five through nine, uh, very interchangeable, uh, depending on what happens. Also, really hard for me to rank these, just because three teams were on by last week, and the team that played last, uh, team that played last week didn't win, and they're now winless. So. Yeah, it's kind of based on where I had them uh, for season expectations. Um, so I, I don't know. It's a thankless job. And quite honestly, the part of the show where there could even be the most debate, not only amongst fans, but amongst us as panelists, which is why this is one of my favorite segments uh, of the show. Well, let's take a look at the, what Adam had for his rankings. He had Winnipeg number one, Calgary two, BC three, Saskatchewan four. Seems like we're all in agreement thus far. Toronto and Montreal at five and six. Edmonton at number seven, uh, Ottawa at eight, and Hamilton at nine. So the two winless teams that are still at the bottom of the rankings in Adam's list here. Uh, Trey, what do you have here for your week five power rankings? Well, yeah, we're going to have the two undefeateds on top, but I give a slight edge to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers currently. Uh, yeah, big game, though, on Friday. Big game. Uh, might have to have some wobblies at this one uh, just in case the Bombers lose. But, yeah, 3-4. Again, I'm going to give BC the edge just because BC's lost to Winnipeg. I give them more respect than Saskatchewan's loss to Montreal. And then, yeah, 5 to 
five, six, seven, I'm going to say is trouble for me. I think it's clearly Edmonton's a slight better than Hamilton, but um, obviously Mike is the only one of us that disagrees with that. But yeah, Montreal, Toronto, Ottawa, I think, again, it's just uh, rolling dice on those three. And Edmonton, I'm going to give a slight edge to because they at least have a win. And Hamilton's uh, Hamilton's the bottom feeders right now. That's it for our week five power rankings here. And I think that pretty much does it for our week five recap. Lots of uh, lots of breaking news this week uh, and lots of fun to talk about, even though there were only three games to discuss. Uh, let's take a look at what's coming up here next on the podcast. Uh, Wednesday night, July 13th, 9 p.m. Winnipeg time, 8 p.m. Saskatchewan, other time zones accordingly. Uh, it's our week six preview. Trey, Adam, myself will be here. We'll uh, preview the storylines for the upcoming games. Uh, we'll uh, talk CFL fantasy options, try to get back on track with our picks this week. Uh, so you can look forward to that Wednesday night. And then uh, next week, Monday, July 18th, same time, same place, our week six recap, just like we did here tonight. Of course, you can catch both of those uh live on all of our platforms youtube search the canadian football countdown there facebook.com slash cf countdown pod at cf countdown pod on twitter twitch.tv slash cf countdown pod and game time tv youtube page shout out to our presenting sponsor game time tv learn more at facebook.com slash game time tv mb uh, want to follow us on social media? You can do so. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at CF Countdown Pod. And uh, make sure you check out uh, all of the other great shows from around the Canadian Football Podcast Network at CF Pod Network on Twitter for all of those as well. Uh, Mike, any final thoughts and uh, where can people find you on social media? Final thoughts. I'm loving the CFL 2 4 game weeks uh, for sure. Actually, sorry, five game weeks. Uh, Sweet Sips preview coming up. Uh, great content, as always, by the team. I uh, just wanted to shed some light on Wednesday. I know I usually promote uh, Game Time TV, but I'm going to take this moment to preview a program on Game Time TV, which will be on the air sometime before the preview team takes the air, uh, recapping the opening day of NHL Free Agency, which is set to begin on Wednesday, uh, previewing some of the moves already. Pittsburgh Penguins have signed a long-term agreement with Ricard Raquel of six years, so that's going to be interesting what happens with the Guinea Malkin sweet state. It seems like a new era there in Pittsburgh. We'll also dive into the Toronto Maple Leafs. Some say questionable acquisition of Matt Murray. Uh, but I'll explain on Wednesday's show why it's not so controversial. So stay tuned for that because this is going to be unbelievable. It is also the Ultimate Hockey Show season wrap-up. No, that was a bit long on game time. Seriously, though, you can find us on uh, Facebook. All the details on Facebook, facebook.com, backslash game time TV MB, and some news for game time TV fans. The website is ready. It's going to be released next Monday. So stay tuned for that. Uh, and all seriousness, though, you can find me on Twitter, at Mike Carroll, probably whining and complaining about something that happens in the world of sports, uh, Blue Bomber related. But all seriousness, 
love the interaction with everybody. And I know I don't say it enough uh, for my Game Time TV subscribers, but it also uh, adds up to uh, members of this uh, community as well for the CFC, Name Football Countdown, little band of diehards we like to have and new fans. Um, the show wouldn't be what it is without uh, fan interaction and participation. So it is the highlight of my week to sit here at 9 o'clock on Mondays and uh, watch you guys on Wednesdays and see all of the interaction that happens. Uh, it is a very interesting uh, community that likes to join together, talk about whether it's hockey or the, uh, or the uh, CFL. Uh, both passionate, passionate fan bases. And that's part of why we have these forums uh, to allow open, respectful discussion. And that is the heart of what Game Time and the Canadian Football Countdown, by extension, uh, are here to do. We may not agree with each other's tastes, but it is a it is a place to freely uh, it is a place to freely express our opinions on the matter at hand. So I just wanted to give. I know Alan Bumble Jumble rant for late in the show, but I just want to say thank you for everything uh, that you guys have all done uh, to keep us on the air and the opinions. Um, it's really refreshing to see the new people uh, that tune us in, whether it's live here now or on the podcast. So I know that's my, I'm doing very sentimental tonight, as fired up as I was earlier in the evening. A bastard case of emotion, which is fine. Good night, everybody. Well said, Mike. Well said. Couldn't have put it better. Uh, shout out to everybody who has joined us in the chat live here tonight. We had a lot of great comments. We always appreciate those. Shout out to those of you watching later on, listening later on. If you have questions, comments after the fact, you can send them to us on Twitter and Facebook and all of that as well. Trey, where can people find everything you got going on these days? Well, if you want to keep hearing my hot takes on everything and eating ice cream and every, everything like that, that's at Trey MB Harness. Yeah, I'm all fired up because it's horse racing season for me. Uh, yeah, I had a great weekend doing that. Unfortunately, I really hate it that we're not live streaming uh, the next few weeks of racing, but we will once we move to Winnipeg. So if you can't make it down to the track, you can always watch online. If you follow me, I'll show you there. Because unfortunately, I didn't do good in football, but I had the only winning pick four ticket in Miami. Uh, my uh, counterpart, um, the great Mike Williams, who's a great horse owner and handicapper, got it wrong. He's been in the industry 50 years, and I've been doing my job for three, and I got my pick four right. So uh, just got to give him the, give him that. He's not going to watch this, so I can uh, talk, uh, talk smack as much as I want. Um, but yeah. That's about it at Tram B Harness. And make sure we follow our buddy Adam Stewart one if you want some farming tips. And oh, thank you to everybody. Since joining this show, uh, people got me to 500 followers. So I'm happy about that too. Uh, I, I like round numbers. I have OCD. <laughs> Uh, yes, uh, go follow Trey on Twitter if you want to talk more about whether Brandon Banks catches touchdowns or not as well. He loves having that conversation. Uh, of course, uh, great follow there. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at CooperTrooper42 as well. And one talk CFL, CFL Fantasy, all that fun stuff. Reality TV, 
Loved the premiere of the Challenge USA last week. I really enjoyed that. Eh, Big Brother season not starting off on a hot note, but maybe we'll get there yet. Uh, but yeah, looking forward to all that fun stuff and all of the CFL every single week. Uh, whatever podcast platform you're listening on, we appreciate it if you do all the fun things, such as like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, share the show with your friends, help us grow the show. We always appreciate that. And on behalf of our panel panel here tonight, Michael Garrell, Trey Colbeck, I'm Ryan Coop saying thank you for listening. Take care. Have a good one. Bye.